We are in the Gospel of Mark, looking at a different kind of king. We're in part two of a, of a two-week series on Mark 1, 9 through 13. And Mark's Gospel, for those of you uh, like Justin, who, who, who are just here for the first time, the Gospel of Mark is widely accepted as the first written account of the life of Jesus. It was written from Peter's perspective, his eyewitness account, and it was written to the Roman Christians to encourage them. He's primarily focused on Jesus as the servant king, but he also writes about the kingdom of God and discipleship. And he starts off verse 1 with this, the beginning of the euangelion, which is the Greek word for good news or gospel, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And last week, we saw how God, I'm sorry, not last week, two weeks ago, we saw how God reveals the euangelion. First of all, through the message of that word itself. That word had a very specific meaning. The euangelion was only used about the coronation of a king, about the birth of a king, or a great military victory of a king. So even using that word is one way God reveals what the good news is. Second, it was through his messengers. We looked at the quotes that Mark uses in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 from Malachi and Isaiah. And they were about the forerunner who would come. That this guy who would be Elijah would come before the Messiah comes. And so after the book of Malachi was written 400 years later, John the Baptist is on the scene and we saw the marker that God put he was that marker. John the Baptist was the Elijah. Jesus said it. And he pointed to Messiah. And ultimately, God reveals uh, the good news through his Messiah King himself. And that John said, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so, Jesus wasn't just a good leader, a good man, a good teacher, but he was the Messiah King promised from the Old Testament. And Mark begins with the Elijah, the forerunner. He was a herald preparing the way. And last week, we saw how God revealed a king who is different. He's a different kind of king than any other king who's ever lived. He was a different king. And first of all, he identifies with his people. Kings didn't identify with the people. They lorded over their people. But he identified with his people. And we saw that in his baptism. You know, Mark gives just a real quick synopsis of that because that's the way John writes or Mark writes Mark's writing to the Romans the Romans were bottom line people they didn't care about all the doctrine they didn't care about all that they just want to know the bottom line and Mark's telling them in a in a what I call a cliff notes version what happened the baptism which was the coronation Jesus the Messiah King identifies with his people he comes and he comes to John the Baptist who's preaching a baptism of repentance. And Jesus comes up and says, hey, you need to baptize me. And, he, and John goes, wait a minute. You need to baptize me. I, I don't need to. I, I can't touch you. You're deity. And, and Jesus says, no, to fulfill all righteousness. Three things happen at Jesus' baptism. One, we see that John is representing the Old Testament prophets pointing to the Messiah they talked about in Jesus. Two, we see God the Father blessing it with the coronation formula. It, it was popular at coronations of kings for the king who was 
too old now and his son was replacing him to say, this is my son. He's the legitimate king. So God says that and he quotes from Psalm 2. And then we see him quote from Isaiah 42 where he says, in whom I'm well pleased. And so it is a coronation. Well, we see God not only reveal a king who identifies with his people, but he intervenes for his people. What happened at the coronation? What does Mark record? The heavens tore apart. Why is that significant? Because Jesus is the one that intervenes on behalf of his people to the God who is separated from us. Man is separated from God. He's been separated since the garden. And now the heavens are torn apart, which we're going to see later at the end. Uh, well, we, we know at the, when, after Jesus dies on the cross, what happens? The curtain in the temple tears apart from top to bottom. So those three happen. And Jesus' baptism symbolized the sinner's baptism. He's identifying with His people, and now He intervenes from His people as, as the Spirit comes on Jesus. And now He begins His earthly ministry. And the first place we see Him directed by the Spirit is where? To a desert. To be tested. And why is that? Well, because if Jesus is the promised Messiah King and He's going to save His people from their sins and judgment, and if sin is from Satan, then Jesus must battle Satan and be victorious over him. If he doesn't come away from this battle with Satan with a victory and with his purity, he can't reign as Messiah. And so the test or temptation, because it's dual, it's both. It's temptation from the perspective of Satan. It's a test from the perspective of God. Do you understand that? It's the same thing. The word there can be test or temptation. And let me give you an example. Joseph in the Old Testament... At the end of Genesis, he says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Does God tempt us? No. Does he test us? Yes. It sounds like semantics, but it's not. There's a difference. Okay? My son just was tested to be in a special operations group down at Patrick Air Force Base. Six weeks ago, he was tested. He made a 98 on the test. It was a physical test. You can't make a 98 and be in this group. You've got to make 100. You've got to be perfect. And it included like a 350-pound deadlift three times. Then you had to sprint with a 20-pound kettlebell, a 100-yard dash in under 20 seconds. And then you had to uh, do a shuttle run in a certain amount of time. Then you had to do 16 pull-ups minimum. And then you had to... Uh, you had to do a three-mile force march with a 60-pound back. And then you had to swim a mile in a time period that they only allowed you. It, it was a pretty, pretty grueling swim. And he called me after the first test when he didn't pass. And he said, I made a 98, but I didn't pass. And I'm going, because you know, they want you to be perfect, Right. And uh, you have to make 100. And he said, yeah. He said, Dad, my legs were cramping so bad in the swim. I was pushing through it, but I just couldn't do it fast enough to make it in time. And he was really upset about it. But he had to be perfect. It's the same with Jesus. If Jesus battles with Satan and he doesn't accomplish the goal of defeating him, if he's not 
perfect in his responses to these tests and temptations. He's not qualified to be the Messiah King. And you know, if he used his divinity to go around the limits of his humanity, he's not qualified. He'll no longer be a qualified Savior. He cannot be our sacrifice. Hey, listen, can you turn stone into bread, David? <laughs> well, you can't that I know of. I can't. So he can't. He could, but he couldn't. Does that make sense? He could, but he couldn't do it. I can make bread and stone. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. <laughs> but here's the thing, guys. The temptation in all three tests that aren't here in Mark, by the way, they're in Matthew and the Luke accounts, is don't humble yourself or humiliate yourself by limiting your deity. That's the test. He says twice, hey, if you're the Son of God, command. If you're the Son of God, do this. The temptation in all three of them was, hey, you're the Son of God, don't limit yourself. Don't humiliate yourself. Don't go through this humiliation. Be God's Son. Go around the incarnation. Go around the suffering. Go around the crucifixion. Go around the humiliation, the rejection. That's what he's saying. He was tempted by Satan, tested by God. Are we tested and tempted? Every day. I was thinking about my friend Joe White. Joe's got a dog now named Coda, but he's always had Labradors, and he always trains them. And he'll take, he'll take a food item they like, and he'll throw that item down. And what do you think happens the very first time he does that? They, they go to it, right? And then he starts administering corrective discipline to them. Say, no, you don't want to do that till I say. And he trains them. And as he trains them, pretty soon he can throw that down. And that dog will sit there and it will not go for it. Until he says, go. Now, where do you think that dog is focused whenever he throws it down there? When he throws it down there, that's the temptation. Where is he focused? Where is he looking? He's always looking at Job. He don't take his eyes off of Job. Because if he takes his eyes off of Job and looks down there, he's gone. He's a goner. He's a goner, man. He's a goner. His eyes are on the master, not the object of his desire. Temptation is common to every one of us guys, but victory isn't. And unfortunately, he says in Hebrews chapter 4, listen, you have a guy who's gone through, he's your, your priest understands the temptation. He's been tempted in every way. So approach with confidence this priest of yours. Hebrews 12.1 says what? Throw off the sin that easily entangles. Keep your eyes where? fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, listen, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you will not be tempted beyond that, what? Which you can handle. There's always an escape, right? You know what the escape is? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Every one of us takes our eyes off Jesus when we give in to temptation. We're not looking at Him. And so today, to kind of complete this you know, series of, 
the verses 9 through 13, we looked at a king that is different in the fact that he identifies with his people to a king who intervenes for his people. And today we're looking at a king who ensures hope for his people. Not just for some people, but for all his people. And we're going to look at verses 12 and 13 in Mark and then jump over to Matthew 4 and read that account. But let's look at Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 first as we look at this king who ensures hope for his people. Verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. That word drove him out is... It's the word, it means compelled. It's the same word used when it says Jesus thrust out the demons or he cast out the demons. It's the exact same word. So this is a compelling, the Spirit compelled him to go out into the wilderness. And the word wilderness there means desert. It's isolated and alone. Verse 13. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. This is it. This is Mark's Cliff Notes versions of the temptation. He doesn't say what the temptations were. He just says Satan was tempting him. And then he says he was out there for 40 days. Said he was in the wilderness twice. He used that word. And by the way, Deuteronomy 8.15 describes that wilderness. Fiery serpents, scorpions, no water. Not a place you want to be. Not a place where animals are around people. If there's any animals out there, it's because people aren't there. They're wild animals. Wild animals don't hang around people. You know anything about wild animals. If, they, if, if, they are, if there are people out there, they usually eat them, right? So, but that's Mark's account. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't give us a whole lot of detail. He basically says it's Jesus, the Holy Spirit, where they are, they're in the desert, and Satan's out there with wild animals, and that's it. So Jesus and the Holy Spirit against wild animals and Satan in the desert. That's the arena. And so... If we flip over to Mark chapter 4, it gives an expanded version. This is going to like the, the hard reading here. I'm sorry, Matthew. Thank you. Yeah, Matthew 4. Matthew 4, 3 through 11. And we're going to look at what it says about this test and temptation. And as we go into it, I got a question for you. Could Jesus have sinned? Could Jesus have sin? Was it possible to Jesus to sin? Was it possible for Him to sin? I've got some heads shaking. i got yes. i got maybe. I think, I think it was possible, but He didn't do it because He's Jesus. Well, I mean, if He was the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, God cannot... Can God sin? Yes or no? Was Jesus fully God? So could Jesus sin? Because it would violate His deity. He was man, but that didn't 
being man didn't violate his deity. Sinning would violate his deity. So again, could Jesus no. sin? No. If he couldn't sin, why did he send him for 40 days to see if he sin? No, that wasn't the purpose. The purpose wasn't to see if he would sin. The purpose was to prove to other people he wouldn't sin. He was deity. You see the difference? Okay. Yeah, the purpose of his testing is to prove he was worthy to be Messiah King. To prove that he was deity. Because any man would have sinned. Do you get that? Adam had the perfect environment. Adam had no sin nature. And he failed the battle with Satan. Jesus had no capacity to sin because His deity would always overrule any human weakness. He was always God. Even though He put aside the powers that He had of God, He never put aside His deity. He was fully God, but He put aside His powers. So for Him to sin would have violated that deity. So He couldn't sin. But that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was for him to go prove that he could defeat Satan and to show he was a worthy Messiah God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, John 8.46, 1 Peter 2.22, they all say, no sin in him. Who convicts me of sin? He had no capacity to sin. He was susceptible to temptation though. Why? Because he had a human body. But not to sin. Do you understand the difference? He felt every temptation you and I could feel. Lust, anger, greed, temptation. He felt the full extent. In fact, he felt it more than you or I did. He felt the full thrust of temptation. What happens, Brian, when you are tempted and you give in? Is there an immediate relief at first, I mean, you feel guilty afterwards, but there's an immediate relief that you gave in. He never felt that. So, so think about the, the strain on that part. Listen, Adam, let me contrast him real quick. You got Adam over here at the beginning. No sin nature. He's in where? The Garden of Eden. He's in paradise. He's got Eve there with him. He's got a companion. He's not alone. And what happens? There's peaceful animals there. No animals wanting to kill him or anything. And Satan defeated him in the garden. Jesus, on the other hand, is in a desolate place. He's in the desert. It's desolate. He's alone. Violent, wild animals are out there. Fiery serpents, scorpions. And he defeated Satan. Guys, it's not the circumstances that cause us to fall, it's our character. Listen to this. It's not you can't blame your sin on anybody else or your circumstances. So that would mean you're living and walking with God in the garden, and they turn on God. Jesus is in this horrible place facing the same Satan, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, lust of the pride. Alone. Alone. And he doesn't 
because he quotes scripture. He does. So he falls back on the Father. He falls back on his word. And that's and that's where we're gonna get to. Because again, I say this again. We live in a culture where everybody wants to blame their circumstances or other people for their sin. You can't do that if you're his kid. Verse 3 of Matthew 4. The tempter came and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. What he's saying is, you shouldn't be hungry as the Messiah. You're God's Son. You shouldn't put yourself through this humiliation. Listen, don't wait on God to fulfill this valid need. Assert yourself. Meet your needs right now. Listen, with Satan, guys, you don't have to trust. You don't have to wait. You don't have to pray. He says you can have it right now, so you have it right now. Not that you guys ever struggle with that. I know I haven't, right? A lie. That's not true. The temptation, guys, is not in feeding his flesh. The temptation is going around God's timing. The temptation is usurping what God ordains for us what he wants and he had not given Jesus the freedom to eat and so Satan says listen you should not be going through this humility you're God you're the son of God you're his Messiah command these stones to be made into bread go ahead and eat and Jesus response is from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and it's really from 3 but I'm going to read 2 and 3 God says, because anytime Jesus quoted Scripture, it was more than just that particular text. It was all around it. And so listen to what was going on. God says in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, I let you be hungry in the wilderness. Who let, him, who let His people be hungry? He did. And I fed you in a way you didn't know. I'm going to give you something you've never had before to show that you don't live by bread alone but by every word that comes out of my mouth. God told Israel, I'm going to put you in a place where your mind, your ability, your talent isn't going to do you any good. You're going to have to trust me and my word. And that's what he tells them. And that's what Jesus quotes to Satan. Is that what we do when we suffer through temptation? Because guys, I'm going to tell you, you know, you know what? Satan does with you and me. He's very subtle. He takes valid needs. Notice he's not telling Jesus you're not the Son of God. He's not telling Him you're not deity. He's telling Him, hey, if you are Him, then do this. Go ahead. Circumvent what God wants in His timing. Do we have a problem with circumventing God's timing on things in our life? That was almost universal. (laughs) That was pretty universal. Jesus in quoting Deuteronomy 8 is telling them that the only creative and sustaining thing in his life is the power of God. He's saying that the power of God creates, it sustains, and it gives me existence. Not bread. Not the material. Do you know what James 4 says? James 4.13 he says, you, you think you're going to make these plans, you're going to do all these things. You're a vapor. God is the one who keeps us alive. 
I remember a guy years ago, this was, gosh, 30-something years ago. I remember this guy, I'd met with him regularly just to talk to him about his spiritual life and try to be a life coach to him in that way. He had had this business deal that went through and he made a million dollars. And back then, 30 years ago, that was a big deal. He thought he was set, man. Kids' education paid for, everything done. And I remember his whole countenance, man, was different when we went to lunch. And he, he didn't tell me one thing he was going to do with that money for the kingdom. Not one. But it was all about the personal things that he would be able to care for. I sat there and listened to him. And I was, I was sitting there. And I'll tell you, my first response is, man, I wish I was me. <laughs> wish I had a million dollars like that. Because I was thinking of all those things he was saying. So instead of being a testimony of God's provision for his kingdom work, he was testifying about he was going to do things in his life. I had lunch with him again about four months later. And he was dejected. And I'm like, what's going on? And he just found out his wife had cancer. A few months later, he found out he had cancer. He buried his wife a year and a half later. He, he told me, he said, I'd given all that money if I could just have her back. And I just thought about the whole thing about he wasn't looking to God. He was looking to that resource. And it doesn't matter whether it's money, a computer program, people in your family, whoever it is. When you look outside of God for your, your, your energy, your force, your, your existence, it's wrong, it's sinful, it's idolatry. And Jesus reminded Satan, no, I'm not going to abide by him. Well, in verse 5, Satan goes, okay, Jesus, you say you trust God? in His Word, in His plan, then prove you really trust Him. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. It is written, He says, and then He quotes Scripture, although He misquotes it. He omits part of the, the, the verse from Psalm 91. He leaves out where it says, and God will guard you in all your ways. He's implying doubt to Jesus. He tries to get Jesus to tempt God, to make God prove that you are the Messiah. You make him prove, you make God prove you're the Messiah then by forcing him to keep his word. Just quit saying, Not my will, but thy will. Quit that, Jesus. Come on, you don't have to. By the way, does Satan know the scriptures? Yeah, does he twist the scriptures? Been doing it since the beginning, hadn't he? Did God really say? Did God really say? You know what the prosperity gospel is? God's going to give you whatever you want. Just a twisting of the Scriptures. Use the same words we use. Different definition. Well, he can only twist those that were written. He can only what? He could only twist those Scriptures that have been written. Yes. He did not know Revelation. Well, not then. Not then. Well, he does now. Yes, but see, now he knows all the scriptures, now. and he twists them now. Yeah, we're, we're talking. Yeah. Don't be deceived and think that he can't take scripture and and manipulate it to get. That's what people in the prosperity gospel do. 
That's what people who preach a forgiveness-only gospel, they're being manipulated. And so, what was Jesus' response? Again, He goes to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 this time. Don't put God to the test. Listen, you never put yourself in a reckless or dangerous situation to force God to prove Himself. There are risks associated with following God, and that's okay if God's leading you to do something. I can remember when I left the FBI. I had a guy tell me, Doug, listen, I just want to warn you. I don't think you should leave the FBI right now. There's a lot of people asking people for money for ministry, and I don't think it'll be a good move for you and your family to leave the FBI right now. I'll never forget that. He was involved with a lot of ministries where a lot of people were, like you said, we were talking before, a lot of people asking for money. Who's the provider of all the money? Who, if, if God can't provide for me to do His will, how can He provide for the people who need their salvation from eternal damnation? So, God's will done God's way never lacks God's provision. His will done His way, and I will add in His timing, never lacks His provision. And so, Jesus responds with Deuteronomy 6. Don't put God to the test. And so again, Jesus defeats Satan with what? What is His weapon? The one weapon we have is God's Word. And so Satan then, verse 8, takes him to a very high mountain. All the kingdoms of the world in their glory. Does the Bible say one day that all the kingdoms of the world will be under the rule of Messiah King? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, it does. The Bible says that. Satan is not tempting him with something that God hasn't promised. Does it say that every knee will bow and every tongue confess? Yes. Satan is only offering him, guys, what God has already promised. Except he's saying you can have it right now. You don't have to go through all the struggles, the humiliation, the the rejection, the spitting on, all this stuff, Jesus, Gethsemane, all those things, you don't have to go through that. Just say right now, listen, your Father put all this under my authority right now. So I'll save you the hassle. Just worship me and then you can have it all. See, there was a problem with that. That's not what God wanted. And by the way, Satan reveals his cards there, doesn't he? All, you know what he wants in everything? Is our worship. And my friend Tommy says, Satan is a fan of man. Satan is a fan of man because he wants man to be his biggest fan. And we, we no, nobody's going to sit there and say, I worship Satan. Nobody in this room. But guess what? When you choose to go against God's Word knowingly, who are you choosing? Say it. Who are you choosing? Who do we choose when we choose to lead our own lives apart from God's will in our life? 
His known will. His revealed will. His word to us. Who do we follow? Who do we glorify? If we are living against the word of God. Say it. Yes. That's what he wants. He wants that. You can have it all right now. Just worship me. And how does Jesus respond? He goes back to Deuteronomy 6.13. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. So three times Jesus responds to Satan's temptations with no. I will trust God's Word. No. I will trust God's love. No. I will trust God's plan and His timing. I will obey my Father. I'll eat when He wants me to eat. I'll rule when He wants me to rule. And I'll be sovereign over all when He wants me to be sovereign over all. Jesus did not sin. He did not fail. He prevailed. And He proved worthy to be the Messiah King. Sin, guys, for you and me, is meeting a valid need in an invalid way. Anytime... Listen, all of our sins are us trying to meet some kind of valid need in us that isn't being met. And we just get ahead of God. And here's the thing that's so interesting about this. Is that who was with Jesus out in the desert? No one. one. So how did Matthew, Mark, and Luke know how to write about this? How did they know what happened? Well, they were inspired, but more than likely, Jesus told Matthew, He told Peter, and Luke probably gathered the information from the other disciples. And so Jesus felt it was worthwhile to probably tell His disciples what happened so they could learn, one, not only is He a worthy Messiah King, but learn how to do battle against Satan. Do you guys struggle with battling Satan at all? Or you got that thing lit? You guys all got it taken care of? He he wants us to learn from Him. Remember when He said, listen, take my yoke and learn from Me? That means we keep our eyes on the Master. We, We watch how He does and we learn how to respond. When you guys are going through temptation, how many of you respond with Scripture? How many even know what Scripture to respond with like He did? You see what I'm saying? That we, This is why we read the Word. Guys, every morning I get up and I pour the Word into me. I read it. I, I don't, I'm not studying for a message in the morning. I'm just ingesting it so that it comes through me. I read not just one section of Psalms or one section of Proverbs. I start and I read from different sections of the Bible every day to ingest His Word. This morning I was reading in Psalm 27. You know what Psalm 27, 14 says? I was reading it. The Holy Spirit popped it. He said, this is what you're teaching on today. Memorize this verse. It says, wait on the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Wait on the Lord. David wrote that. Of course I do. 
Not that big. <laughs> Psalm 27, 14. I've never quoted that verse before in my life, but what a great verse. Wait on the Lord. The biggest problem with us in our sin is we don't wait on the Lord. Right? We get ahead of Him. So let me give you some takeaways. Well, first of all, let me go back real quick because it said this in Mark and it said it in uh, verse 11 of Matthew. It says the angels ministered to Him or the angels were ministering to Him. That word there for ministering is, is a word that means to serve food. So literally the angels were feeding Him. They were worshiping Him and it was God's confirmation by sending them that He's still pleased. He's the, he is a worthy Messiah King. He defeated Satan. The purpose of the test from God's viewpoint, temptation from Satan's viewpoint, is not that he could sin, it's that he wouldn't sin and be disqualified. The, um, if you read the commentary in the Greek, the word ministering, um, it said something like in Matthew, it said that he, they showed up after the temptation. But in Mark, it said that the Greek kind of transcribes it as if they were there during the temptation. Yes. So it's more of a present tense like kind you of. You can almost say the angels are with you during the temptation. Yes. And he's intervening for you. Every time you go through a temptation, guys, if you're his, he's sitting up there going, Tim, I'm pulling for you. I got this with you. Come on. And what we do is like a dog who looks at the food instead of the master. Our eyes go off of our master onto the object and we're sunk because the flesh kicks in and we're drawn to react instead of to submit ourselves to God. So let me give you some takeaways for our battle with Satan. First of all, know who you are. Be alert. Know who you are. Know where your struggles are. Some people in this room struggle with pornography. Some people don't. Some people struggle with cussing. Some people don't. Some people struggle with other things. Others don't. Know who you are. Know where your danger areas are. And be alert for Satan to tempt us to fill our ambition his way. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. The word there for love is unconditional. It's the agape love. You can't love God conditionally or unconditionally in the world unconditionally. So one of them is conditional. And so it says, This is the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's everything from the garden. It's everything from this temptation Jesus experienced. And it's everything you and I experience. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. What a man has and what he does. Our security and things we own. So know who you are and be alert. Second, know your Bible. Know God's Word. Not just what it says. Know what it means. And as Brad likes to say, let it go through you. Because if you know about it, but you don't really know what it means, it doesn't do you any good. If you know what it means, but you don't apply it, does it do any good, Brad? No. doesn't. So know who you are. Know your Bible. Third, wait on God's timing. 
Follow His plan. Seek Him above all. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. So, know who you are. Know His Word. Wait on God's timing. Follow His plan. Seek Him. And finally, know that we have a faithful high priest and king. Hebrews 4, again, says approach with confidence His throne. Why? Because He knows everything you're experiencing. And 1 Corinthians 10.13 says He will not take you to a place that He will not give you a way out. The way out is to always look at Him. So, good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you, Lord. Tom Turner, can you close us in prayer?